Good morning. It's really tough to be a Blazers fan right now. I just want just to say that. Feeling slightly, slightly down because they lost yet again. As good as it feels to watch the Blazers win, it also um, feels good to watch the Warriors lose for me. So it's like a double, double downer. <laughs> um, if you don't know me, my name is Dustin Olson. Um, most of you do. I go to this church. I am Kara Olson's husband, and um, I am Pastor Jeff's favorite son-in-law. <laughs> I'm kidding, Kia. I'm getting myself in trouble already. <laughs> I'm speaking today because I'm part of a preaching team that Pastor Jeff put together. Um, it started out as a teaching team where a group of guys would come and Jeff would teach us how to study the Bible and then in turn take that and teach the Bible. And we all taught each other and we stood up and did a little thing, and, but then it turned into this preaching thing. And so I'm the first person up and um, there's going to be other guys after me and we're going to be going through the book of Galatians. So right after my text is going to be the next person's text and they'll start pick up right where I left off. Um, and I think Bob Doolittle is next. He's getting nervous right now just because I said that. <laughs> I also want to say that I'm very thankful and I'm honored to be up here. This isn't something that I take lightly. I've thought a lot about it. Um, so it's an honor for me to stand up here and to bring the word of God. I'm not something like, I'm like, I'm going to go to church today and speak, you know? I'm like, it's, it's big for me. So I hope I'm clear and that I can have a good time up here. Before we get into the text, though, I want to define one word for us, and that word is righteousness. I'm going to be mentioning the word righteous, righteousness lots of times, so I think it's important that we're all on the same page with what it means. Righteousness, here's a fun fact, is mentioned so many times in Scripture that it calculates out to about 1.5 times the amount that faith is mentioned. So righteousness is mentioned a lot in Scripture, and just pointing to how important it is. A basic definition of righteousness for us is simply right standing with God. Righteousness is the condition of being in right relationship with the Lord. We're going to be talking about that exactly, if you can see that. We're going to talk about fleeing from self-righteousness and resting in Christ's righteousness. Today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, but before we get there, I want to cover context because I'm not the only person that's going to be going through this. Other guys are. And I think it's important that we know what's going on in the book of Galatians before we get to the text. Um, so to start off, the author is Paul, and the location is in modern-day Turkey. Uh, if you don't know where that is, some of you are like, why is he talking about turkeys? You know? But the Turkey is above the Mediterranean Sea. It's like north northeast of the Mediterranean Sea and northwest of Jerusalem. If someone told me that, I would have no idea what they're talking about, but I just thought I'd tell you. The, the province, it's a province, and that is basically an area with uh, a group of cities. It's kind of like a county. Um, the cities that were popular, um, or that we know of, are Lystra, Derby, and Iconium. Paul actually visited those many times in Scripture, and in one of them, um, he actually, I don't know which one it is, but he got stoned so bad that 
The people just left him for dead. They're like, he's dead. And then they, they walked out. But Paul, he's so awesome, he got back up and went into town. Um, the people are the Gauls. Um, the Gauls migrated to this area, and they were under Roman rule at this time. Um, so the Galatians, or the Greeks called the Gauls the Galatians. So that's kind of where you get the Gauls and Galatians from. The problem, though, um, which is really important here, is a different gospel. It's mixing Old Covenant with New Covenant grace. So Old Covenant law with New Covenant grace. It was pressure from a group of people uh, to have the Galatians mix law and grace, thus perverting the gospel. It's basically saying that for you to be justified with God, for you to be accepted with God, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to do this. Ultimately, though, I think this book is about self-righteousness versus Christ's righteousness. Self-righteousness versus Christ's righteousness. Paul specifically talks about, though, circumcision, and I don't need to go into detail about what that is, but um, for the Jewish people, uh, it was foundational to uh, Judaism. So people had to be circumcised, and it was very important to uh, the law to have that happen. So some people might have taken offense to the removal of circumcision. Paul specifically talks about that a lot. I also think it's important to uh, know that Paul Paul, the writer of Galatians, was probably the most zealous of them all with the law. He killed Christians. He dragged people into to court. He dragged their children. You know, he t- tore up families, all in the name of the law. So it's important to know that because Paul is he's countering something that he used to live in and be so passionate about. He, of all people, knew how important the law was. Also, it was this perversion or this mixing of law and grace, it was subtle. It wasn't something obviously wrong that deceived them. It wasn't like, hey, guys, let's go serve this new ocean god. And everybody runs out and like, there he is, you know, and there's the ocean god. It wasn't like weird and and obviously wrong. It was something subtle. It was something that they they could accept. Paul counters it, though. So I'm going to give you a few uh scripture references to give you an idea of what Paul's talking about and to give him the tone so you know what he's, what he's saying and, and what, what the problem is about here. So in chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, Paul says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The first thing I noticed that he says is, I am astonished. So Paul's surprised. When he preached to the Galatians, they received this fully, the, the gospel of grace. So he's, he's a surprised that they're even mixing a little bit of law. Also, he's, notice that he says an angel from heaven. I think, that's, I think that's interesting. There's actually, I mean, an angel is a high authority, right? So if an angel from heaven were to bring something different, Paul's like, let him be accursed. There's even, I don't need to mention the other religion, but there's even another religion out there that claims that some angel from heaven appeared to them and gave them a different gospel. That's scary. 
the Greek word for accursed here, when he says, let them be accursed, is anathema. And it means a person or thing doomed to destruction. Today's English version translates this as, may he be condemned to hell. Whoa, I mean, that's, that's really strong language and tone. I hope you guys are feeling that Paul's not messing around right here. In chapter 2, verses 20 through 21, you don't need to go to these places. I'm just kind of mentioning it to you really quick. I have been, he says in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And this is the, the good part. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. I'll say that again. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. That should end all conversation about self-righteousness and Christ's righteousness. And it's, Christ died for no purpose, if you're going to believe that. But why is Paul so upset? You know, not only is this a self-righteousness gospel a lie, but it's making some other way to God, and I believe it's making light of what Jesus did on the cross. Last Sunday was Easter, and I watched, you know, one of those little videos, you know, like the Passion of the Christ. A lot of us has probably seen something like that. I watched one of those again, and I've seen it before, but it reminds me of what Jesus went through to purchase freedom for us from sin so we can receive his grace. And when, when we try to make some other way, some other, our own self-righteousness way, we're making light of what he went through. And I'll tell you that what we see in those films doesn't do justice for what Jesus really went through for us. After all that, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5, if you haven't already. We'll be going through verses 1 through 12 today. While you're turning there, if there was one question that I hope I could answer through the text today for you, it would be, why should I flee from a self-righteousness gospel? Why should I flee from a self-righteousness gospel? Oh, it feels good to be up here right now. I just, I'm liking it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read through it, and uh, you guys can follow along if you want, but we're going to start in verse 1. Paul says this, starting in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. 
And guys, sorry, but I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Okay. <laughs> Whoa, right? That's <laughs> simmer down now, Paul. No. So uh, the, I'm going to go ahead and give you guys the first point after reading that. I know that's a, a big group of scripture, but the first point today is there are consequences of a self-righteousness gospel. There are consequences of a self-righteousness gospel. So let's look at verse 1 to find out what those consequences are. Verse 1 says this again, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So Paul gives us our first consequence right there. It is. Our first consequence is self-righteousness is slavery. Self-righteousness is slavery. The law was actually a yoke of slavery because all the law did was reveal our sin to us which ultimately condemns us, right? When we know we're sinners, we become condemned. In Romans 8.2, Paul says this. He says about the law. He says, Christ has set believers free from the law of sin and death. He calls the law the law of sin and death. Now, I'm not saying the law is bad, but what I am saying that the law brought out condemnation in us. The law of sin and death. When our sin comes out, it produces death. The law, like, brought out our sin, because we know none of us can be perfect. Also, who here would be excited to be a slave here? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but none of us, none of one would be like, yeah, Justin, I want to be a slave. Sign me up. I want to be number one. You know, none of us want to be a slave. That's not cool. It's uncool to be a slave, right? Slavery is oppressive, right? The gospel is good news. Slavery is not good news. None of us want to be a slave. Also notice in verse 1 that Paul says to stand firm and do not submit. Stand firm to me means to, to hold one's ground. Hold your ground, guys. Do not submit tells me that self-righteousness is something that you have to submit to. I don't think it's like you wake up one morning and you, you're self-righteous. You submit to it slowly over time, subconsciously or consciously, whatever. It's something you have to submit to, self-righteousness. The Jews held the law, they held the law in, in, in very high regard, and they should have it because the law had consequences if you didn't follow it, right? There was penalties, there were curses that were brought on people because they did not follow the law. But what they did not know is that the law was a tutor to Christ. It was supposed to lead us to Christ. Jesus actually mentioned the yoke of the law to those under the law. Most of you are familiar with this passage, but in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Another way, in other words, Jesus is saying, like, the yoke that you guys are under, you know, all the, the weir- weariness and the burdens that bring, bring, come on your life because of the law, you know, come to me. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I'm the opposite. Right? He's talking to people under the law. The law is oppressive. It's slavery. Jesus is the way. So again, that first point is self-righteousness is slavery. Let's move on to verse 2. Paul says this in verse 2. Look. I like how he says that. I don't know why he's like, Look, guys. Come on. Look. Paul, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. 
So, the next consequence of a self-righteousness gospel is you lose the profit gained from knowing Christ. You lose the profit gained from knowing Christ. The reason why I said profit is because that relates to me more than advantage, but it means the same thing, profit and advantage. So, how does Christ profit us today? Most of you could think of things right off the top of your head. You'd be like, whoa, this is how God helps me, this. But I made a small list just to help us think. And here's a, what I, how I think Christ profits us today. It's not um, everything, obviously. It's just a few things. So we have total forgiveness and peace and relationship with God. We're in a new family. We become sons and daughters in God's kingdom. Our spirit has been born again. We have new life in us. God lives in us. We have purpose. We have joy. We have strength and direction. We have power over sin and the enemy. We have the power of God on our behalf, right? That's just a small, tiny list of how Christ profits us. There are benefits of knowing Christ, but trusting in some other way to be justified with God will lead you into the consequence of losing any profit gained from knowing Christ. You know, a quick test to uh, to know if you're putting your faith in something other than Christ, uh, some self-righteous way, is to, I know you couldn't picture this, but if you just try, picture yourself standing before God one day. And as you're standing before God, the question is asked of you, why should I let you into heaven? Why should I let you into heaven? If you gave a reason about your giving, your holiness, your church attendance, your dress code while at church, or how much you read the Bible, then that is what your faith is in. If your faith is in any of that at all, run from that and embrace the finished work of Jesus. Maybe you know Christ is your Savior, but you you have no joy right now or strength in your day. Maybe you're just always stressed. Maybe you're putting your faith in something other than Christ, some way to gain his acceptance, his approval. So again, that point was you lose the profit gained from knowing Christ when you live in a self-righteousness gospel. Let's move on to verses three and four. Paul says this, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. The next consequence is a self-righteousness gospel separates us from Christ and his grace. A self-righteousness gospel separates us from Christ and his grace. If you feel separated from Christ and his grace, then you might be trusting your own self-righteousness. When, I, when I'm talking about this, when I was studying about this, it made me think of my son, Ryder. He's, he's almost two, and I love him tons. When you become a parent, most of you know that. You just love your kids. And um, he brings joy to my heart by doing nothing. He could be out in the yard. He could be rolling in the dirt. He, he could be throwing rocks at the fence. He could be eating grass, not contributing at all to society, right? He's, and he, I'm, it brings pleasure to me. I'm like, yeah, that's my son. I love him right there, Right? But what if, not just what if, Ryder decided that he needed to work for the love that I'm already putting out for him? What if he thought that he needed to work for the fathership that I already have for him? 
See, I'm already, I'm already his dad. I already want to pick him up when he falls and hurts himself. I already am loving him. I already have accepted him, right? But if Ryder decided and said, no, I don't, I don't dad, no, or whatever, you know, I, I, don't want, I don't want that. I can't receive that until I work for it. Wouldn't he be separating himself from my love, my fathership, my grace, all that stuff? Yes, he would be. That's what we do when we have self-righteousness in our life. Notice that in verse 3, also in doing so, you would be obligated to keep the whole law. I know that I'm speaking to people who are not under the law and never been under the law, but somehow, sometimes, we can slip into a legalistic mindset that somehow makes us more holy than the person sitting next to you. If that's the way you think, run to Jesus. He's the only way to having any righteousness of all, at all. So again, the, a self-righteous gospel separates us from Christ and his grace. So let's move on from the consequences of a self-righteous gospel, and let's read verses 5 and 6 to find out how to live in Christ's purchased righteousness. So this is what Paul says, starting in verse 5. Through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The second overall arching point is this. Faith in Christ is the key that unlocks Christ's righteousness, not faith in ourselves. Faith in Christ is the key that unlocks Christ's righteousness, not faith in ourselves. Notice in verse 5, he says, through the Spirit, by faith. That's the complete opposite of a self-righteousness gospel. Self-righteousness is through the flesh, by works. It's our own way to, to God. But it, Paul says it's through the Spirit by faith that we, through we get there. Through the Spirit by faith is how we live in Christ's righteousness. If we're called believers, let's believe. Let's believe in the finished work of Christ. Let's believe that what he did is enough. Let's be believers. Let's read verse 6 again. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Translation, only faith in Christ's work counts for anything. Only faith working by love. That's what Paul says. I think Paul's saying here that faith alone in the love of God as expressed through Jesus is the only thing that God demands for justification. He doesn't demand your work. He demands your faith in Christ. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 29. Jesus says, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. He didn't say, this is the work of God, do penance and climb upstairs, and, or, or this is the work of God, build a giant sculpture for me, or a giant slide. I want a slide. That'd be fun. <laughs> you know, he just said, believe, you know, believe in me. That's, that's the work of God. Or take Paul's view in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 9. You guys don't need to go to these. I just want to, I'm just reading them because they, they fit in. This is what he says. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I want you to know that when Paul says rubbish here in verse 8, that, that word literally means dung. That means poo-poo, right? right? So now whenever I change writer's diaper, I'm going to think, well, I've got to count this as poop. Okay. Anyway. So we need to count all things we can do for God as dung, literally. As Paul says here in verse 9, and not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So that moves, on to, moves into how do we do this? How do, I, how do I do this, Dustin? I don't understand. I know I've talked about how we can do this and already a little bit, but I want to kind of wrap it up and, and say how do we do this with some application. So we're going to look at verse, the ending verses to, to see that. Let's start in 7 through 10. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So the first way that we can do this is confide in Jesus. Self-righteousness is not of God. Confide in Jesus. Self-righteousness is not of God, guys. If something's not of God, probably it's encouraged by the opposite of what God is, right? Yeah? The devil. So the devil probably wants you to be self-righteous. So I'm just throwing it out there because if it's not of God, that means it's probably of the other side. Confide, what I mean by that is to place your dependence for righteousness, for justification, for acceptance, all on Jesus Make it all about Jesus' finished work and rely on his grace. Wow, man, it feels good to be in God's grace. It does. It's like... Two, second way, stay away from self-righteousness. It's toxic. We find that out in verse 9 when he says, A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, the bakers here are getting pumped up. You guys are like, yes, he's talking about leaven. <laughs> leaven is, is yeast. And the comparison is just being made that a little bit of it spreads through the whole batch, the whole dough, and makes it all rise, right? So if I just had dough here and I sprinkled a little bit of yeast in it, you know, you know and I mixed it up, the whole piece, the whole dough would rise, not just one piece. So in other words, just a little bit of self-righteousness affects the gospel just a little bit it's toxic stay away from self-righteousness three the second way we can do this is remember their consequences of self-righteousness a self-righteousness gospel and advantages of living in the gospel of grace we mentioned some ways that christ profits us and we all know there's more than that and i already mentioned some consequences that paul talks about of living in self-righteousness just remember that Paul also mentions, he mentions a penalty for the one spreading the lie. But I think he might be referring to the consequences he's already been talking about. But maybe not. I don't know. Maybe he's talking about some other consequence. I don't want to find out. I hope you don't want to find out either. <laughs> Four, don't take self-righteousness lightly. Paul's pretty ticked off. As you guys have 
heard already his tone is super strong. It's all about God's grace. Let me read uh, verses 11 through 12. He says, But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would cut off their woo <laughs> Right? The guys are like, man, why stop saying that? <laughs> but really, I mean, Paul, Paul says this. That is serious stuff. He's so serious about this. I think he's saying that those who promote self-righteousness or sufficiency, they ought to cut off their man parts so they don't re- reproduce and spread the toxic lie of self-righteousness. Yeah, I got an amen. (laughs) Okay. So we need to run away from self-righteousness, sufficiency, and run into the grace and the finished work of God through Jesus, the Son. It's not about what we can do for him. It's about what he's already done, right? We need to walk in Christ the same way we received him. Here's Here's a verse that will make you think. Colossians 2, 6 says this, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How'd you receive Christ? It wasn't by like doing some amazing work or whatever, building a, you know, some crazy building. It was, we didn't have to do anything. We just had to put our faith in him. And if that's true, if we just had to put our faith in Jesus, he says, just as you receive Christ as Lord, so walk in him. Then walk that way. The same way you received him, walk in it. It doesn't change. He doesn't need your work. What are some things you might be trusting in other than Christ's finished work? I mentioned them already, but maybe, maybe it's giving. Maybe it's church attendance. Your own holiness. Your Bible reading your Bible version, whatever. Maybe you have a lack of joy in your life. You're not profiting from Christ the way that you should be. Maybe that's a warning sign that you're living in self-righteousness. You know, the truth is that if we know Christ is our Savior, we can be and never will be any more righteous than we already are. Yeah, yes, amen. We can be and never will be any more righteous than we already are. Why? Because it's Christ's imputed righteousness that makes us righteous. It's what he's done for us. It's not, I behave righteously in order to remain righteous. It's, I behave righteously because I am righteous. It's a fruit. Every person is invited to know Jesus because the qualifications are simple. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to look good. You don't have to be good at anything. You just need to believe in Jesus. Let's pray.